0: Hey church, it's great to be back with you all and it's great to be back with you guys. It was wonderful to have a week off and to sit under the preaching of our brothers and it's just a reminder that God has been so good to our church. It's such a privilege for us to have so many people that can deliver God's word mm-hmm. so powerfully. Good.
1: You know we had a good, good word last week from Pastor Marcus, Pastor David, uh, Pastor Silver. They, I think they did a great job of expressing yeah the point that sometimes God uses chaotic storms and chaotic situations to draw us closer to his heart. And today we're going to talk about how to respond to some of the chaotic storms that even we're facing today.
2: Yeah, you know, as preachers, when you're preaching week in and week out, it's important sometimes for you to experience sitting in the couch with your family and just, uh, you know, participating on the receiving end as well. This This is what it means to be a body of Christ, where you have your gifts and you put your gifts at the benefit of others, but you also open yourself to to receive. Uh, So today uh, we find ourselves in uh, chapter one. We're still in chapter one because we're taking this very slow. We're almost going verse by verse. And we're reading today from verses five and six. So I want to invite you to open your Bible, Jonah one, verses five and six. And this is what the word of God teaches us. Uh, So today, as we talk about uh, responding to storms, uh, we're going to talk about uh, being proactive, we're going to talk about being humble, and we are going to talk about being learners. So first, uh, being proactive. You know, this story is interesting. It has a certain level of comedy in it. It's ironic, as we read in verses 5 and 6, how Jonah ends up being stuck in a boat with the horrible pagan sailors, the same type of people that uh, he was running away from. And not, not only are they stuck in the same boat, which is, by the way, the title of our, of our series, uh, but they're stuck in a storm together. It's, you see, oftentimes, a God puts us in places of discomfort. This is a very discomfort, uncomfortable place for Jonah, because not only is he with the people that he hates, but he's in the middle of of a storm, a dangerous, uh, life-threatening storm. God has to move us from our places of comfort into places of discomfort in order to teach us. Why? Because uh, the greatest lessons that we can ever learn in life are learned in an environment of discomfort. If you think about your own life, uh, you, you didn't learn the greatest lessons when everything was going well, when you were very comfortable. You learn when things were not going well, when things were not going as expected when things were falling apart all around you and oftentimes when we find ourselves in places like that you know we are disoriented why because our expectations are challenged and our categories are shattered church we're in a storm right now and many of us are feeling disoriented many of us are are confused why because our expectations about life have been challenged our categories have been shattered. Our categories of faith and church and family and marriage, children, race, our categories have all been shattered. It's kind of like what's happening here in this story. The categories are being shattered. I imagine the first readers of the book of Jonah, they were very confused because uh, they had a certain expectations of how a religious man of God should live out his life and and he had expectations. They, they had expectations of how pagan people should behave. And what's interesting about uh, the story is that the, the roles are sort of reversed because Jonah is behaving like the pagan sh- sailors should be behaving, and the pagan sailors, they are behaving like Jonah is behaving. We see that in the contrast as, for instance, uh, how the, the sailors are aware of their reality in verse five, we read that they are fearing for their lives because they know as experienced sailors, uh, as the ship is rocking back and forth and as we read here is beginning to fall apart, that they could die. They knew of people that had died in a storm similar to this one and they know the danger that's around them. So they're taking this very seriously and yet uh, their awareness is contrasted with Jonah's apathy. What is Jonah doing? He's asleep. Why would you be asleep in the middle of a storm like this? I mean, unless you're God. See, Jesus is asleep in in, in one particular storm in the gospel account, but uh, Jesus is God. He's in in a boat asleep, but Jesus is God. Jonah is not God. And therefore, the only reason why he would be asleep is if he's trying to escape the reality that uh, he is going through in that very moment of his life. And many of us know what that looks like. Some of us have gone to sleep, have fallen asleep, wishing not to wake up because we want to forget about the world around us. We want to forget about the negative circumstances, our past, our reality. That's how we cope sometimes with reality. That's how Jonah is coping with reality. See, Jonah is consumed by his own problems. Jonah is self-absorbed while the sailors are self-giving. They are working, they're the ones that are working for the common good, not Jonah. They're trying to spare everyone's life. Uh, The sailors are spiritually active, they're praying to their gods. And their spiritual activity is contrasted with Jonah's spiritual inactivity. Jonah is a professional man of God, and he refuses to pray to his God who had called him. So that specific mission. Uh, we see the contrast between Jonah's bigotedness, who refuses to love and to care for people that are different from him, people that believe differently, people that look differently, people that are from different ethnicities. And we see the openness in the pagan sailors who are willing to pray to Jonah's own God. We see their proactivity being contrasted with Jonah's reactivity to the problem. See, they're fighting the storm, and Jonah's being consumed by the storm. The outside storm is beginning to swirl up inside of Jonah's soul and Jonah's heart. It's very important, church, that in a season such as the one that we're living and going through right now, a season that's characterized by storms, that we stay fighting, that we stay active and proactive, and we don't allow the storms to take hold of us, and that we don't succumb to the storms. I find out so many people during the season are succumbing to the storms. We are called to be proactive. See, uh, uh, storms are great opportunities for us to learn and for us to grow, for us to reflect and to strengthen ourselves. Why? Because this will not be the last storm that we will go through. There will be future storms. And the way in which you respond to this storm will affect the way in which you will live and respond into the following or the next storm that will come up. This is training. That's how life trains us. That's how God trains us in life. One situation prepares us for the other. See, and this is the perfect opportunity for us to put our faith to work. See, faith is a gift from God, and our faith matters most, not when things are going well, but when things are not going well around us and in our lives and in our world. That's when we see whether our faith, what how what our faith is made up of. Mm -hmm. That's the message of the book of James. When when push comes to shove, how will you respond? How will your faith inform you in the context of pain and circumstances? See, uh, when we're living proactively, the storms bring out the best of us. They bring out compassion. They bring out generosity. Uh, These storms they bring out empathy but when we are living reactively the storms bring out the worst from us it brings out anger it brings out impatience it brings out anxiety what's coming out of your life right now church in this storm are you being proactive or reactive what is coming out the good the best of you or the worst of you
0: that's such a good reminder felipe that storms uh, can bring out the best of us when we're proactive But our tendency is to hide in a storm, right? It's to just try to ride it out because storms bring about fear, and fear can paralyze. I remember when I was a kid, you know, uh, began to believe and imagine that there were monsters in my room. They were in the closet, and they were under the bed. I knew that they were monsters, and the first thought was, I need to hide, and I'm gonna hide under the covers. You know, It's that cliche, you believe the monsters are in your room, you hide under the covers. And I remember thinking one night when I'm hiding under the covers, I'm thinking this is a horrible idea to just sit here because the monsters are gonna attack me and I'm not even gonna see them coming. And so I I got courageous, I got proactive. I got out of the bed, I got my flashlight, I got my big plastic sword and I was ready for war. I walked up to the closet, I had the flashlight, I had the sword ready, opened the closet, no monster. Okay, feeling okay, except for I still have to check under the bed. Under the bed is the most terrifying place in any house, any apartment. I mean, no one knows what's under their bed. I mean, do you know what's under your bed right now? No one knows. Could be a monster, and that's what I, I, I thought. Furniture. Furniture. <laughs> so I, I come up to the bed and have the flashlight, and it has like a bed skirt, so I can't see under it, and I take the sword, and I flip up the bed skirt, and I look under, I'm about to slash the monster. No monster. But see, ever since that night, the fear of monsters in my room went away. And if I ever felt it in the midst of that, I would just get up and I would check. When you're proactive, you actually mitigate fear and you bring about peace and it brings out the best in you. But our tendency is to hide. You see, when we're proactive in the midst of a storm, it actually reframes the storm for us. The storm goes from being terrifying to being transformative. And church, we, we have to begin to lean into this storm that we're facing. It feels like multiple storms. And we have to be proactive so that this can become a transformative time. Mm. We need to be listening. We need to be learning. We need to be engaging uncomfortable conversations. We need to be active. Because if we're proactive, it will be transformative. And if we're not, it's going to remain terrifying.
1: You know, you said something right now reminding me of one of my favorite uh, musicals. I actually saw the movie this week with, with my oldest daughter, Les Miserables. Uh, there's a scene where the ex convict, Jean Valjean, he comes in and the bishop, you know, he takes him in and he steals from the bishop. He steals silver from him. And the cops break in to arrest Jean Valjean. And, and the bishop says, No, I, I let him borrow the silver. And, and Jean Valjean says, why would, you, why would you do that? And the bishop responds and says, I forgive you. And this, such, this had a, such a profound impact on him that he sings this song called, What Have I Done? And, and the song is about leading a new life. And, and I think one of the last lines in the song is like, you know, Jean bon Jean is nothing now, a new story must begin or something like that. And it's amazing how the willingness of one person to give somebody else a second chance has such a profound impact and brought out the best in another person. That the willingness of, of, of one person to see the potential in another person even if that other person just you know committed a crime against them, uh, uh, would bring out the best in another person. to be spiritually proactive, right in somebody's life would, would have the effect of changing that, 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 that other person's life. Church, sometimes in our mission and what we're called to do, there's going to be moments where we're, we're going to respond reactionary, like the loss of a loved one, and it's, you know, things are going to happen out of the blue. But we don't have to wait and sit. For the storm to come and hit us in order for us to be rooted and grounded and build our lives on God's word. We don't have to wait till the storm comes and hits us. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, the storm of testing is here. It's here. God is on the move. God is shaking things up. God is doing something. Let me tell you something. Whenever God shakes things up, we need to be ready to get rid of whatever God shakes loose. God is pruning all of the lifeless branches of apathy and fear and anxiety and doubt and he, and he's pruning everything that promotes your spiritual decline and prevents you from growth in order to get your attention and our attention. Mm-hmm. God wants us to grow. He wants us to be proactive. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell us something. To quote one of my favorite artists, I heard this song today, uh, um, and I believe he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us, listen, in order for us to help somebody out of their hell, it's going to cost us. We've got to give a little piece of ourselves. Are we hearing the cries of the people? Are we being humble enough, which is the second point. It's always fascinating to me that Jonah's spiritual decline comes out of the context of great spiritual abundance. He's God's prophet, he's God's man, um, he's got vibrant spiritual fellowship. This guy comes out of the tail end of Elijah and Elisha, uh, God's doing something new. He's building the school of the prophets. Um, he's got uh, great, uh, vibrant spiritual fellowship. He's engaged in fruitful service. Second Kings tell us, uh, tells us that at the hand of Jonah, the, 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 the coast of Israel was restored. And so despite all of that, he continues to decline. He continues to sink down. We find him at the bottom of the boat asleep, still trying to escape, uh, uh, God, still trying to escape the all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, uh, present God, a guy who was not only monotheistic, right, meaning the worship of one God, but he was also the uh, 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 the worshiper of the one true God. And because of his disobedience, here's what God does. He uses a bunch of polytheistic sailors, polytheism meaning the worship of many gods, in order to get Jonah's attention, teaching us that sometimes... God will use the world in order to to rebuke us. Mm. God will use the world or God will use people outside of our faith community in order to evaluate the church on whether or not we are being uh, 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 committed to what we're called to do. In this case, for the common good, like you said, Philippe, the common good of all people. Can't you see that we're going to die, the captain says? Mm. Are you completely oblivious to our situation, Jonah? Mm. If you're a person of faith... If you're a man of God, why aren't you using your faith for the common good? And, and and this man, this scene typifies where we are right now, this boat, where we are right now, because whether it's riots, whether it's looting, whether it's crime, whether it's society completely disintegrating right before our very eyes in church, if you wake up tomorrow with a bad case of Twitter fingers, thinking that you're woke, let me tell you something. You're still missing the point. You're still missing the boat. You're on another boat. Right? You're still missing what God, and you're still oblivious to what's happening because for one moment, Jonah lives in the same neighborhood as these sailors. The storm that threatens the one threatens the entire block, the entire neighborhood. Right, Jonah didn't want to work for the good of all people, for people who were racially different from him, for people who were religiously different from him. He wanted to exclusively work for the interests of the people in his own tribe. But God is trying to teach him and show him and also show us, listen, God is the God of all people, of all nationalities, not just, listen, we're part of the whole human community, not just a member of our faith community. And by the way, this is not just a pragmatic argument like, hey, if we don't love our non-believing friends... Things are not going to go well for us. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to love all people because we're co-humans with all people made in God's image, and therefore everybody is infinitely precious to him.
2: Yeah, Sam, you're touching on something that's very important. It's a theological concept that we call common grace, that the grace of God can be uh, seen and can be perceived in the lives of uh, even unbelievers. And so the... The, the sailors here, they're kind of like God's voice to to, to Jonah. And um, one of the mistakes that churches uh, have made in the past, or still make, is that they say to new Christians or people that convert to the Christian faith that they should only listen to Christian music, only read Christian books. I got reprimanded one time because I was reading a novel, not the Bible, Um and only have Christian friends. And those of you that know me uh, know that I, I, I read and, and I watch and I listen uh, to music that um, are not only Christian music because there's a lot of truth uh, because of the image of God and there's uh, this idea of common grace in, in the lives of, of unbelievers. I have a lot of friends in my own life that are not Christians, not just church people. I make a point uh, in order to be down to earth in order to be relatable, uh, you know, see, my non-Christian friends are not just my missional objective, uh, but they are teachers to me as well. Mm-hmm. God uses them to teach me a whole lot of things about life and the world. I remember watching this past week a um, a, a, a black comic uh, talk about the fact that during Uh, this crisis that we're going through right now, this, this ethnic racial crisis in the country, that a lot of people have asked him to speak up, to go into the streets and speak up and explain what's been happening in our world, in our society. And it was so interesting, his response. He says, no, the last thing that people need right now is to hear from celebrities like myself. The streets are speaking for themselves. And it reminded me of Luke 19 when uh, Jesus has this triumphal entry through the gates of Jerusalem. And they're hailing him as king. And the religious Pharisees, the people in Jonah's category, they come to Jesus and they say, rebuke your disciples right now because this is blasphemous. And you know what Jesus says to them? He says, if they shut up, even the stones will cry out. See, God will speak. He will speak through stones. In the Bible, He even spoke through a mule when a prophet like Jonah refused to listen to God. Church, church, the rocks are crying out right now. Are we listening? And are we going
0: to be quiet? Or will we speak up as well? Man, and what you said, Felipe, it takes so much humility. To listen, right? Uh, to engage in those conversations, to hear the streets crying out and people's pain. And I've had a lot of great conversations uh, these past two weeks, a lot of people calling, just kind of you know dissecting and walking through and debriefing uh, the sermon two weeks ago. And it made me realize that, you know God has been so good to our church because the predominant posture of people in our church is one of humility. It's one of conversation. And listening and seeking to understand and most I'll be frank most of the people that I talked to they had an issue uh, with one phrase that I uttered and talked about in the sermon and that's the phrase black lives matter a lot of great conversations hard conversations but really helpful for me and I, and I hope for them as well and that statement is controversial that statement black lives matter I mean, we see it all over social media, so many debates and arguments and positions. And why is it controversial? It's controversial because it communicates one truth, but there's two worldviews wrapped up in it that are attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so many people, when they hear the statement, Black Lives Matter, they don't hear the truth of the statement. They don't hear the statement that was birthed out of deep pain and wounds several years ago and cries for justice and change. They only hear... The organization that has attached itself to the name or to the statement. They hear a worldview, a worldview that is antithetical to biblical values and the Christian worldview. So they don't see the truth of the statement, they see only the worldview that is contrary to our Christian worldview attached to that statement. And I understand why that's so difficult to navigate, it's hard to navigate. And, and I'm grateful for all the conversations I had because it's a humbling moment for me. You know, there's some challenge that was given to me that I that it was helpful to receive and to hear, which is that I need to be really careful on, on the platform that God has given me to speak with clarity mm-hmm. and to to share that I, I am in favor of Black Lives Matter. And I will say Black Lives Matter, the statement, but I don't identify with the organization, mm-hmm. but with the truth of the statement, mm-hmm. because it does reflect our worldview. Yeah. That statement. And so I don't reject the statement. And and church, I don't think that we should reject the statement because it does reflect our worldview. And I also don't think we have to qualify it. We don't have to say Black Lives Matter, but because then that devalues whatever comes before the but is devalued when you use that. We can own it because it is a part of our worldview. We can redeem it. And we have biblical precedent for this. The Apostle Paul, many times in the New Testament, He uses quotes and statements and phrases that pagan philosophers and poets wrote. And these pagan philosophers and poets do not believe the same thing. They do not practice the same thing that Christian believers do. In fact, their beliefs and their practices were very much against the Christian faith. And yet Paul uses these statements and these phrases and he never qualifies them. Why? Because he sees an opportunity to own the truth of the statement and use it as an aid to enter into relationship with somebody, to be able to communicate the Christian worldview and to share the truth of the gospel. See, he sees that the Christian calling and being an ambassador for Christ even requires and calls us to redeem statements. And so he owns that. And I wonder if we could have that same perspective to own the truth of a statement for the sake of the gospel, but still be clear that we, where we identify and where our worldview sits. And that takes humility. But it also requires that we take a posture of learning. And that's our, our third point, is taking a posture of learning that we see in the passage. We look at Jonah, we hear these two voices speaking and crying out to him, but there's one voice behind both of the speakers. You see, in the passage, Jonah is asleep, and he could have never imagined that he was, would, would find himself at this place, right? He's a man of God, as we've said. He's a prophet. His entire life has been formed around the Word of God. It has affected every aspect of who he is. He knows God's Word. He's close to God. He's spiritually mature. Surely, Jonah will be kept from scandal. And he wakes up on a ship running from God, so exhausted that the Greek version of this Old Testament book, Jonah, says that he's snoring. He's so tired from running from God that he's snoring and he wakes up to the sound of nature speaking to him of his own guilt, the raging sea and the storm, and then he wakes up to the sound of a pagan captain calling out to him. And there's one voice behind both the storm. And the captain, and it's God's voice. And look what the pagan captain says in verse 6. He says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And that word arise must have convicted his heart. Because it wasn't long ago that he heard that exact word when God said, arise and go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite way. And here, this captain is speaking to him, and it's God's voice to him. Arise, you sleeper. You see, a question that we ask a lot as a church and as Christians is, how does God speak? And the common answer is that God speaks through his word. We call that special revelation, that God speaks clearly through his word. We, this is a gift to us. It is a special gift, and it is true it is inerrant, it is, is without error, it is infallible, incapable of failing. And so if we want to know God's voice, if we want to hear God, we read his word. But is that the only place that God speaks? No, we believe that God speaks in nature, even through pagan captains. We call that general revelation. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. He says, everything about God is made known to them, made plain to them. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. John Calvin, the reformer and scholar, he said that God has implanted his divine majesty into human minds. See, we we hear God speak in his word, but we also hear God speak in nature, in his creation through people. There's a question I want to ask and I'll ask you at home And you can raise your hand at home so we can all participate. And the question is this. Does God's revelation, is God's revelation in Scripture infallible, incapable of failing? You raise your hand at home. may feel weird, but do it. Second question. Is God's revelation in nature infallible, incapable of failing? Raise your hand. Or not. You see, if you didn't raise your hand to the second question that God's revelation in nature is infallible, it's probably out of a sense to elevate the authority of Scripture over everything else, over the works of literature that we read in culture, over scientific theories that are adjusted, over the things that are not uh, God's written special revelation to us. But the answer to both those questions should be a hand-raise. It should be yes, because the emphasis in the question was on God. Is God's revelation in Scripture infallible? Yes. Is God's revelation in nature infallible? Yes, because whenever God reveals himself, it is always infallible, because God is incapable of failing. And God speaks through storms. He speaks in history. He speaks through pagan captains. And he's speaking to us right now, church. In this storm that is 2020, he is speaking to us and we need to be sitting in a posture of learning and saying, God, what are you saying? And we have to be careful. We have to be slow. We have to be patient because though God is infallible when he reveals his truth, we are fallible in our interpretation. And so I think it's important that we actually look back as God has spoke to the church and in the church, in history, in nature, in creation, and through many voices to glean what God may be saying to us now. You see, God spoke around 50 years ago in a very similar situation, 60 years ago, in the Civil Rights Movement. He spoke through the church and in the church. In fact, the movement of the Civil Rights Movement was birthed out of the church. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision and his firm-held belief was that the church should be in the center of culture— And civil change and that's why they would gather in the churches they would pray they would worship they go over the guidelines for the marches and the rallies and the sit-ins and then they would leave from the church change in society and culture and civil change came because the church was in the center of culture where are we now what's happened to us We're divided. We're critiquing each other. Many people see the church more concerned with political policies than people's pain. We have given away our right to lead and speak because we've given away the center of culture. We've turned in on ourselves. We've become passive and cowardly, afraid to speak out for fear of getting canceled, for fear of discrimination in our workplace or our social circles. We've given way to critique instead of compassion. We have watered down justice and made it only about uh, justice of coming to faith in Christ. And we have neglected the justice that God calls us to be agents of in culture. We have neglected to say that we want to see justice not only for salvation, that chiefly, but we also want to see justice in our society. We want to see it roll down, as Amos says, like a river. Because Jesus prayed, may the kingdom of heaven come here. May what happens in heaven be on earth. See, God is speaking loudly to us, and we see these the violence uprising, and it breaks our heart. And we see these ideologies with organizations uh, that is antithetical to our worldview and is not the gospel. And we see a lot of hurting people in many different communities and many different professions. And God is speaking. And what is He saying? I think God is saying, "Wake up and march back to the center." of culture
1: you know um one of the things i I think that god is calling us to wake up to is the power of prayer yeah um i was listening to a sermon on this text this week and and the pastor uh, he shares how he took a a, his youth choir from mississippi in order to evangelize the big apple new york city in manhattan and one of the things that he tried to do and he he thought for sure they were going to laugh his his group out of the city was uh they created several prayer stations around the city basically you know card tables with a cardboard that said prayer station that that was it that was the plan and to his surprise um there was a line of people that were lining up for these people were driving by just shouting their prayers and and it, it shouldn't surprise us that people are wanting the church to be at the center of culture. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't surprise us because we're in the same boat. Everybody's going through crisis. Everybody's going to, uh, uh, through their economic downfalls. Everybody's struggling to, to make ends meet. Everybody's worried about COVID-19. Everybody's being moved by some pain or, or by some sorrow, and the world is waiting for us to pray. The world is wondering, why aren't we praying? The world is asking us To pray, right? They're not interested in our doctrine or our beliefs. They're not interested so much in our cute little sermonettes. They are wanting us to pray. They're seeking us out. The captain, the question that the captain is asking Jonah here is the same question he's asking the church today. You call yourself a Christian? Is that what you call yourself? Why aren't you praying? Like you said, Carter, wake up. Hmm. My life is falling apart, man. Why aren't you praying?
2: Hmm. Hmm. You know, the greatest lesson that we can learn from this passage is that this story is not an end in itself this story points to an even greater story in the context of scripture it's pointing to the meta narrative of scripture uh, you see hundreds of years later another prophet also received the mission from god to go out to those who are in the spiritual margins of the world meaning us and every other people group and unlike jonah he did not run away from that mission, but he ran towards that mission. He ran towards those who were in the spiritual margins, and he jumped into their boat. Hmm. Jesus jumped into our boat. And he faced the storm that we deserve. It, you know, we were the ones that bro- brought about the storm. In the story, Jonah was the one that brought about the storm, not the pagan sailors. He faces the storm that we deserve for our sakes. And while he's facing that storm on the cross, he's given the opportunity to escape that storm. Hmm. Remember they offered Jesus sour wine uh, so that he would numb the pain. That was something customary of those days people were dying that painful death on the cross. They were giving sour wine to numb the pain and Jesus didn't want that. He rejected that. He didn't want his pain to be numbed. Jesus wanted to be woke at that very time. He wanted to see all the expressions in people's faces. He wanted to hear all of the cries mm. for crucifixion. He wanted to feel all of the pain, the spiritual pain, the physical pain that he was going through. He wanted to feel all of that. And while he was experiencing all of that pain, he prays. Mm. You talked about prayer, Sam. He prays. He prays to the Father and he says, My God, my God. And the father is silent. The father does not hear his prayers. He is the one that deserves to be heard because he's been obedient, not disobedient like Jonah. Mm -hmm. He deserves to be heard by the father, and the father does not hear his prayers. So that in our storms today, when we pray out to God, when we cry out to God, our prayers can be heard. So that God could come to our rescue, rescue our lives, rescue our cities, rescue our world from these storms that we're going through right now. And it's to the degree that we see this and that we understand this, that we find strength to be proactive, to be humble, and to be learners in the context of the storm. I wanna end our time together with a charge from a friend of mine, I have a pastor friend of mine. I have the privilege to do some work with him around the country. His name is Ephraim Smith. He's a pastor out at Bayside Church in Sacramento, California. And uh, he has a charge for you, church. He's gonna close us off today. Will you watch this?
3: Sisters and brothers, we are in a storm You know, I'm not a meteorologist, but I heard uh, that how storms come about is when high pressure collides with low pressure. So you can see a storm arise uh, when the high pressure of, of who we are to be in this broken world collides with the actual systems and institutions and structures of a broken, upside down, sinful world. What we can't afford to do is to be asleep in this moment. We can't be on the sidelines. We can't say, this is not my issue. This is not my time. I don't know enough. I need to learn more. We all need to learn, but we need to be learning, growing, and active as God's children in this moment. We are in social storms right now. Ah, storms, uh, and, 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 and storms of injustice, Storms of racial division, storms of a pandemic, storms of, I don't want to see another video like that. Why? Storms of protests, storms of anger, storms of, why are you blaming me? All these storms. And you know what? In the midst of these storms, we can't be asleep because there's too much damage that could be done. And so the church was built to have a mission and a purpose in the midst of storms. Jonah was asleep. And you know what? The sailors woke him up. They said, we prayed to our gods. It's not working. Pray to your God. That's a good start. Wake up. Pray. Listen for God. And then we need to do what God says. And you know, the word of God is a place to listen. The word of God has a word for us in what to do during social storms, what to do in the midst of oppression, injustice, brokenness, pride, arrogance, denial, avoidance, selfishness, unforgiveness, sustained dysfunctional anger. God has a word for us to rise And be people of love, truth, justice, compassion, mercy, reconciliation. If there was ever a time for the church to hear from God, if there was ever a time to not be asleep, that time is now. That time is now. So here is your charge, church. Here is my charge. Here's my charge, too. Wake up. We all need to be a woke church, as Dr. Eric Mason says in his book right now. We need to be a woke church and we need to be the ambassadors of reconciliation, the people of peace, the humble soldiers of justice that God has always had in mind for the church to be. God bless you.